You're listening to The Promised One, a sermon series about tracing the hope of God through the history of His people. For more information about First Baptist Starville, please visit www.fbcstarville.com. The thing that I was most looking forward to growing up, out of everything else, I think was getting my driver's license. I could not wait to get my driver's license. Well, before you get your driver's license, you have to take a written test, right? And you have to do this thing, uh, get a learner's permit, and that's where you ride around with someone who's a more experienced driver than you are. Well, in my life, the more experienced driver that I got to ride around most with was my grandmother. And so I, would, I remember most driving, learning how to drive with my grandmother. And so let me put you back into the mind of uh, Andy Brown when he was 15 years old. When Andy was, I know, just bear with me. When he was 15 years old, he was in uh, um, high school, of course, and he was in the Air Force Junior ROTC, which that meant that on Thursdays I had to wear my Air Force blues. Now, that was challenging in high school, of course. We got called blueberries and left, right, left, and all of these things. But anyway, it all came to bear for me when I would ride around on Thursdays with my grandmother because she had a black Crown Victoria. And so that was also the car of choice for the police chief in town. And so every time in my uniform, in my blue uniform, riding around in my grandmother's black Crown Victoria, every police officer that we saw would wave at us. I mean, we're talking about he would go out of the way, he or she would go out of the way to make sure the hand was out, to turn on the blue lights, just to say hello. And so the first time that sort of happened as a 15-year-old, when you see blue lights flash, you think, oh my goodness, what has just happened? But then I got sort of used to it, and I became a little prideful. I, hey, I just thought I was the chief, and they did too, and I was all right with that. So fast forward to one night that I was riding home from youth group. And this time, I'm still 15, uh, I'm driving not my grandmother's black Crown Victoria, but I'm driving my mother's brand new Ford Explorer. And I was in a hurry to get home that night because there was a reality TV show uh, called Boot Camp. I don't know if anyone remembers that, save the drama for your mama, shut up and push. That was sort of the ta- uh, tagline for the show. And my youth minister at the time, he, was, um, he, he, he auditioned to be on the show. So we were all, as a youth group, into the show. And so the intersection of Hospital Road and the 34 Bypass, I found myself as a 15-year-old in my mother's Explorer in the tailgate of an old farmer's truck. I thought that he pulled out in time. I thought that I calculated it just right. So I'm looking this way, thinking that the farmer's gone, and then all of a sudden I jar. And the first thought that I have is I'm never getting my license. So here I am, I'm 15 years old, and the first thought, like I said, as the Georgia State Patrol pulls up, uh, not the sheriff, not my buddy, the police officers, no, it's the Georgia State Patrol, the first thought was I'm never going to get my license. And so just in in a short few months, I go from having every patrol car in Noonan greet me to having my whole future as a driver in jeopardy. So the farmer's truck, by the way, it was fine. It was an old farm truck, no damage to the truck. Of course, my mother's car, it had thousands of dollars worth of damage. We had to call the tow truck. I'll never forget Josh Beckham. I don't know if you're ever going to listen to this, Josh, but I remember you riding by me, making fun of me while I was sitting there. Anyway, the, uh, the Georgia State Patrol officer uh, had to call the tow truck. We had to pull the car, the fender out of my mother's tire, but the farmer didn't ask any questions. The Georgia State Patrol officer didn't ask any 
questions. We didn't volunteer any information. Mama went home, and I got to, well, I did miss the show. But anyway, so I go from anticipation to feeling like that I've lost almost everything. And this series that we've been looking at here, this series has been trying to capture the anticipation that's built onto every page of Scripture. And the anticipation is not just built onto every page of Scripture. The anticipation is built into the very fabric of our lives. So you remember, we have already sung, and we are continuing to sing this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And so what we've done through this series is we have traced the theme of promise and barrenness. We've traced the hope and despair all through the Bible. And today we come to this special moment where hope draws near to us. So take your Bibles and join me, please, in Luke chapter 1 as we read the story of Mary as the angel comes and announces the birth of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 1, and I'll begin reading in verse 26, and I'll read all the way through verse 38. Hear the word of the Lord. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. This is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so in this story, in Mary's story, remember, in Mary's story, we see the fullness of time. All of God's promises that we've traced since Eve come to, listen to this, full term when the Holy Spirit overshadows the virgin and she conceives a son. And when Jesus comes, He comes as the way, the truth, and the life. And what does that mean? It means when Jesus comes, Jesus unlocks the meaning of all things. It's not as if we didn't know things before, but through Jesus, we're able, to see the, the, we're able to see things the way that God sees them, because Jesus Himself is the embodiment of truth. So Jesus unlocks the meaning of all things. Truth comes with this announcement, and all lies are disclosed. Light comes, and the darkness is exposed. Love comes, and hate begins to end. Holiness comes. And sin is finally done in. Beauty comes, and everything else looks pale 
or colorless compared to His radiance. Life comes, and finally death. That old enemy that's plagued us since the beginning, finally death has its final day. And so here we come to this story of Mary, and, and we're looking, and it, we're really seeing this, the, as the popular Christmas song says, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through this text with you, and I hope that you'll follow along. I want to point out four truths from this text today about the story of Jesus. So number one, write this down. Number one, Jesus' story is the greatest story. His story is the greatest story story. Now, don't miss the placement. Don't miss the placement of Jesus' story. The story of Jesus follows the announcement of John the Baptist's birth. The story of Jesus is according to Scripture. We don't just get to make up a Jesus in our own imagination. We don't just simply come to Jesus as if there's a free-for-all for our understanding. We proclaim a particular Jesus. It's a Jesus according to the Old Testament or a Jesus according to the Scripture. And so John comes first to prepare the way for the new thing that Jesus is going to do. But don't miss this as well. This announcement that we have in Luke 1, Luke 1 interrupts 400 years of silence. 400 years since Micah and, and Malachi give their prophecies. It's 400 long years where there's no, there was no prophet. There was no word from the Lord. And don't misunderstand. This, this doesn't mean that God had left His promises, that God had abandoned His people, that God was inactive during that time. We do have something called an intertestamental period. You can read all about that in different historical things of things that were going on in Israel. But there was a, there was a prophecy that was just sitting there. Dust had collected over 400 years. Maybe, maybe hope was waning. Maybe people had begun to for, uh, maybe people forgot the hope that the prophecy had. But there was there was there was still these prophecies that were left through Malachi of a forerunner that was going to come, and then a ruler that was going to be born in Bethlehem according to Micah. And so 400 years, and then that that 400 years of silence is interrupted. So, follow the pattern. John first and then Jesus. John comes to end the old covenant and Jesus comes to begin the new. But don't miss this, even though we use language like old and new. The new is in congruence with and in fulfillment of the old. So, I want to tell you something, and you probably already know this, but I don't want you to just simply take it for granted. I want you to be able to discover it in the Word of God, the story of Jesus is greater than the story of John. Now, I'm talking to a bunch of church people here. I don't have to convince you of that. You no doubt probably already know that the story of Jesus is greater than the story of John. But let me show you. Let's start with Elizabeth. Look at verse 26. Notice this. The storyline of the Annunciation of Mary comes from Elizabeth's timeline. In the sixth month. In the sixth month of what? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, with John. Now remember, Elizabeth, she's barren. We've already heard that. Now what does it mean? It means that her womb is dead. That's what that means. God causes the dead to live and causes Elizabeth and Zechariah to conceive and bear a son. But look at the text. Mary is a virgin. 
who's, look at the language, betrothed to a man named Joseph. Now, you use your reasoning here this morning, and we won't get specific, but which is greater, a barren woman to conceive or a virgin to conceive? Jesus' story is greater. You see, this is the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, a prophecy made long before Malachi and Micah, Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah says, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel, for he will be God with us. But let's move on from Elizabeth. Let's move into the descriptors of Jesus and John. Look at chapter 1 and verse 15. John is called great before the Lord. You see that? He's called great before the Lord. But look at what happens in chapter 1 and verse 32. Jesus is called greater. Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus is just called great. Megos. He's called great. He's not great with any other qualifiers. John is great before the Lord. Jesus is just great. Why is that? Well, because he himself is the Lord. But let's continue going. John is filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Well, the Holy Spirit is directly involved when the virgin conceives. You say, what's all this about the Holy Spirit overshadowing? And what's all this stuff? Here's here's the point of the Holy Spirit. Listen carefully. The same Spirit who was hovering over the waters in creation as the Father spoke the Word into being through the Son now is involved as the Word of the Father will appear in flesh. So follow the storyline of Scripture. You have a, it's, it's a beautiful story. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a story that says that the world was created ex nihilo. The world was created out of nothing. Humankind, humanity was created out of, a, out of virgin dirt. And humanity is now recreated in a virgin's womb. Look at the descriptors of John at chapter 1 and verse 14. Just go through them with me. Look at verse 14. You will have joy and gladness. Many will rejoice at His birth. Great before the Lord, filled with the Holy Spirit from the mother's womb. Turn many of the children of Israel to the, uh, to the Lord their God. Go before Him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. That's John's description. Now flip over to chapter 1 and verse 32 and look at Jesus' descriptions. He will be called Megos, great, called Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then look at verse 35. The child born to him will be called Holy the Son of God. Let me say this to you. Jesus isn't simply a teacher. He's not simply a moral exemplar, someone for you to follow. Jesus is really not simply a prophet. Jesus is God incarnate. He is God with us forever. Now, there's a lot of different stories going about in the world 
a lot that we all have to pay attention to, but in particular, guys, you have to pay a a big attention because we love stories. We love narratives. We love someone telling us a good story. But of all the stories that we could think of, and and like I said, our world is filled with with stories, and most of the stories that you're going to listen to, most of them are outright false. Most of them make most of them are filled with nonsense. Most of them are nonsensical. They make absolutely no sense at all. Some of those stories make a lot of sense, and they're just echoes of this story. But none of the stories that you could ever imagine are greater than what God has done in history through Jesus Christ. No event in history was greater than what happened in that little town of Bethlehem on that night. Now, some of you are already thinking, well, what do you mean no event is greater? Preacher, how in the world can you say that Bethlehem is greater than the cross? What about the cross? What about the resurrection? What about the ascension? Remember this. The story of the empty tomb began with there being no room in the inn. The story of the cross began with the cradle. You see, the stable that we have in Luke chapter 2, it's, it's on one end of the long story of atonement. And on the other end of the story of atonement is the ascension, where He is Lord of all. But the story doesn't end at ascension. The story ends, listen, with those whom He favors with Him forever. So number two, uh, write this point down. His story is sweet to the favored. His story is sweet to the favored. Notice the greeting. What happens here? He says, O favored one. That's how Gabriel chooses to greet Mary with O favored one. And we've seen that before. The last time we saw Gabriel was in the book of Daniel. Gabriel has not been around as far as the biblical revelation is concerned since the book of Daniel. And what happened in Daniel? Well, In Daniel chapter 9, if we had time, we'd go back and we would study this. But when Daniel was praying, it's right before he has the prophecy of the 70 weeks, which is a pretty big deal in biblical prophecy. Gabriel says to Daniel, listen to this, I have come to tell you that you are greatly loved. Could you just imagine, just imagine you're praying, just imagine you're, you're in the middle of a, of a service like this, or, or you're praying wherever you are, and then all of a sudden you have an angel, the angel of God coming to you and saying, God heard your prayers, and He's come to tell you more of what you ask for because He loves you so much. That's what God says to us in Jesus Christ. You don't have to go and you don't have to ask for an angel to speak to you. You don't have to go and try to seek some extra biblical revelation. Here's what you have to do. You just simply have to put your ear to the page of Scripture. Put your heart to Scripture and know what we need to know. And here's all you need to know. Are you listening? Jesus loves me. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. I believe that Mary new Scripture. All of a sudden, Gabriel appears, and like I said, the last time that he appeared was with Daniel. And, and now here, in, 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 in less than a year, he appears twice, once to Elizabeth and once to Mary. And Mary, she, she knows the last time that he appeared to Daniel was right before he talks about these, this 70-week prophecy of the end time. And so Mary knows something's going on. 
No wonder the Bible says that she was greatly troubled and tried to discern what kind of greeting this is. So God comes and old favored one hit it. And Mary said, whoa, whoa, wait just a minute. What's going on here? And Gabriel repeats what he said. You have found favor and you are favored. You have found favor and you are favored. We're going to see this greeting again. Flip ahead to chapter 2 and verse 14. I have a little part of poetry here in my English Standard Version, but chapter 2 and verse 14, the angels, they, they have a message that they use to announce the birth of Jesus. And the birth announcement of Jesus is an announcement of favor. Look at what they say. Peace among those whom He is pleased. Or maybe your Bible says, peace, goodwill among men. You see, here's what Jesus' coming means. Jesus' coming to us in our frail humanity, taking on flesh without ceasing to be what He was, He became what He was not. It shows us that God favors us. He didn't just simply create and see us make a mess of things and obliterate us and wipe us out. That's not what he does. That's not what he did. He chose to put his favor upon us. And Christ coming is proof positive of his favor. And having the favor of God, let me say this, it's greater than anything that you could ever imagine. It's greater than anything that you could ever long for. It's greater than anything that you could ever hope for, having the favor of God. And let me say this, as crystal clear as I know how, some are favored, but not everyone is favored. Some are His children, according to John 1. Some are not. Some have a relationship with God. Others don't. And don't misunderstand God shows no partiality, which means that the favor of God is accessible. Listen, because of Jesus, who's taken on our flesh, the favor of God is accessible to whosoever. Like I said, Jesus is proof positive that the favor of God is available to whosoever because He came, the Holy Spirit's in this moment of conception, He came as the, as the agent of new creation. He came as new humanity. Salvation's available for all. The Bible says, for God so loved the world, doesn't it, that He gave His only Son. Now, now here it comes. Listen, that whosoever believes in Him, now listen, should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, some are going to perish. Some will have everlasting life. You say, what's the difference between the two? Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the difference between the two. Faith is the key for the favored. Faith is key for the favored. Paul says this. He says to some, the message of Jesus is the aroma of death. It stinks. To others, it's the story of fragrance in life. To those who believe, to those who receive, to them He gives everlasting life. Not because we deserve it, not because we could earn it, but simply because He chose to do it. We sing it. We sing the song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Some of us forget the fact that we were lost and Jesus came seeking and saving us. Some of us forget the fact that we were blind, incapable of seeing, stumbling about in the dark until God came and exposed us to the radiance of His own glory. God came looking for you. He loved you. He saved you. And He made you His very own. You see, His story is sweet to the favored, and the sweetness of His story never ends, which is the third thing that I want you to write down. His story never ends. Look at these characters that pop up in the story of Jesus, in the announcement of Gabriel. Look at this. Verse 32 and 33, you see them? Two names, David and Jacob. David? What are they doing popping up in the narrative of Jesus? By this time, uh, Jacob and David, they're, they're dust by this time. But let me say this to you. Listen carefully. The Word of the Lord knows no expiration date. They died with the hope and promise of God on their lips. They died yet to see the fulfilled promise. They died yet to see all that God was going to do. But here's what they died knowing, that the promise of God would outlast their lives. And let me say this to you. The promise of God will outlast you and me. Because the promise of God made so far back then to them, finally here finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. So we have this language of of taking a throne. Well, how's he going to take a throne? Well, he has to conquer. Well, let me ask you a question. How does he, or, or where does Jesus conquer? Where does Jesus conquer? Is it simply at the cross? No, He doesn't just simply conquer at the cross. He conquers. He conquers as He is born that night in a a, uh, manger. He conquers as He's conceived in the womb of a woman. This is why Herod comes and tries to destroy Him. Here's how He conquers. Every demon that He sees that He cast out, He's conquering. He's saying, my kingdom is here. My kingdom has come. Every disease that He sees and He heals, He's conquering. Every, when He's walking on the water, He's conquering the chaos of the seas. When He is uh, uh, resting on His pillow as He's it is in a boat, and the storms are, are, are tossing the boat here and fro, and he says, peace be still. He's conquering. And then ultimately, every time he raises someone from the dead, he conquers. But ultimately, how does he conquer? He conquers as he is raised from the dead himself, and he's the only one that's raised never to die again. You see, His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Here's what it means. It means that not even death itself has the power over resurrection power. Not even death itself has any authority over Jesus. In His story, if I may, it's the never-ending story. We share in this story. You and I get to share in this story through resurrection glory because you and I are going to reign, listen, with Him forever. You see, number four this morning, his story is the hope of the world. I love what happens after Gabriel gives this long answer to Mary. After he says, don't be afraid, he tells her what's going to happen. 
He will be great, verse 32 says, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no end. And the angel's probably standing there like, yep, I nailed it. I got it. You get it, Mary? I didn't miss a beat. I said exactly what God wanted me to say. And look at Mary's response in 34. And Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? You see, this news is too great for her. God's never done this before. It's one thing to make a barren woman conceive. It's another thing to make a woman who's never known a man give birth. But the questions are not met with rebuke. Instead, the questions are met with assurance. Mary said the angel, Don't be afraid. God is with you. God is aware of your condition. In her case, she's a virgin. The angel says, God is able to do the impossible. Just consider Elizabeth, the angel says. You see what God does? God confirms what He will do. Listen, don't miss this. God confirms what He will do through Mary by what He has done through Elizabeth. You remember uh, the day that Jesus is resurrected? There's a group of Marys that show up to the tomb. And what's the angel say? Come see the place that He lay. He is not here. He is risen. There's oftentimes in, in our life where we're going to be so faced with, faced with so many questions, so much uncertainty. And here's what I want to tell you. God knows your uncertainty. He remembers your frame, the Bible says. He knows that you're d- dust, and He patiently deals with us. So He confirms what He's going to do by asking Mary to go see what He's already done. And this is our message to the world. Our message to the world is there is nothing too difficult for the Lord. There is nothing too wonderful for Him. Some of you need to be reminded of that. Maybe you have a mother or a dad or an uncle or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter that that you're praying for, that you're hoping will come to light and, and see the light of day. Remember this as you're praying. Nothing is too difficult for God. Or maybe you're here today and you have, you have pain, you have, you have loss. Your grief is not too difficult for God. Your condition, that diagnosis that you have, it's not too difficult for God. And this is what I say at each and every grave. That God has the final word. Not cancer. Not disease. It's God. When I was six years old, my 
I ran up the hall. I was scared of my hallway. It was dark, and I thought that there was a monster on the other end, so I would cut the light off and run. And one day when I was running, I ran into my mother as she was coming out of the bathroom. And I ran into her and hit her in the abdomen, and she felt pain. She went to the doctor the next day, and my mother was diagnosed when I was about six or seven years old with stage 1C ovarian cancer. Now, for those of you who are doctors or you've walked through cancer before, you know that stage 1C is very hard to detect. But the doctors assured my mother that they caught it in time, which is always the key when you have cancer, right? Catch it in time. Don't wait till it's too late. Well, the doctors assured my mother that they'd caught it in time. And I remember my mother going through chemotherapy. I remember my grandmother cooking us, uh, uh, it doesn't matter what she cooked us, it was chicken, but it was delicious. And she'd put it in a little crock pot and she'd, a pressure cooker, that's what it was. She'd cook it and then she'd pour it all in a country crock. Anyway, that's too much information, but we loved it. A few years ago, my mother was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, and I had a moment where I just didn't understand. I had a moment where I said, God, I just don't get it. You saved my mother from cancer just so she could go through this difficulty of Alzheimer's. And in a still small voice, my Lord said to me, not audibly, he doesn't usually do that. But I remember him saying, that's right, and your mother has something more difficult than cancer that awaits her. More difficulty, more difficult than Alzheimer's that awaits her, and it's her death. And through her faith in me, she's going to be able to overcome that too. There's nothing too difficult for the Lord. This is why I get to preach funerals, because I get to say to that family, and I'll never forget one time in North Carolina, I preached a funeral of a man that I'd never seen, never met. He didn't have a pastor. I was the first call of, of uh, during that time, I was the first call when they would call someone who didn't have a pastor, they'd call me. And I remember preaching, not him into heaven or out of hell, none of that stuff. I didn't know the man, so I just simply gave them Jesus. And I remember someone coming up to me on the graveside and saying, thank you so much today for giving us good news. He didn't even know probably that he was saying the word gospel. When did it become a novelty for the church to preach good news? This is the message that our world is longing to hear. Jesus has the final word, and his word to the favored, his word to the favored is believe and live forever. You see, what he has done gives us hope for what he will do. And in this case, in the text, it was Mary, uh, for Mary, he calls Elizabeth to conceive. But what hope has he given us? What has he done that gives us hope? Jesus has been raised from the dead. You see, we can get on a plane, we can go to travel to GTR, then from GTR go to Atlanta, then from Atlanta up to New York, then from New York over to Tel Aviv and get on a bus and travel all the way to Jerusalem and you can go and you can see that there is an empty tomb there. This is what makes our confession so distinct. This is what makes our confession so unique is we're untouchable. Even if we get touched, even if cancer takes us down, even if Alzheimer's makes us lose our minds, that's not the final word. 
Jesus has the final word. Now, let me just tell you something real quick. This is, this is not in prepare for this, but you need to hear it. We're in the middle of a pandemic right now, Christians. We've been in the middle of a pandemic. Take as much precaution as you can. Do all that you can do, but approach this pandemic like a Christian. We're not afraid of death. That doesn't mean we're going to go out and play in traffic. Don't misunderstand me. Take the precautions, but live in resurrected power as those who have received a message from heaven, a message from Christ, a message that says, because he lives, as we sang earlier, I have every hope in the world. You see, our message is based upon what Christ has done, and what he has done means what he will do, and he's able to raise the dead. You see, Jesus comes to earth, and he comes as Isaiah prophesied. He's God with us. John says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, or literally, he tabernacled amongst us. Luke says, look at this, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. The glory cloud of God's presence comes over Mary so that he can be with us, and he is with us so that we can be with him for forever. Mary's body, listen to this, becomes, becomes the holy of holies. She ouses the very presence of God in a way that the temple never could. She holds in her womb the God who upholds the world by the word of his power. She holds the maker of life who comes to make all things new. She holds the one who recreates the whole world. And the place that God chooses to begin recreating the world is in the womb of a virgin, a young girl named Mary. And how does Mary respond? Look at what she says. Let it be, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to what you've said. Now, let me just ask you a question. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to what God says? You see, the story that we have here is not so that we can look back in an event in the past. The Bible is living and active. The story is here so that we can learn the ways of the Lord, learn the Word of the Lord, and live. The living Word of God has come to you today. How are you going to respond? Fifthly and finally, He is waiting for your amen. He is waiting for you to say, let it be. Look at the difference, verse 34. How can this be? Then the angel tells her, nothing is impossible to God, to which he res she responds, behold, I am the servant of the Lord God. Let it be to me according to your word. And look at this. And the angel left her. All she had was to hold on to that promise. When the angel left her, what he said became a memory. It's the Word of God, beloved. It's the Word of God that we cling to. We cling to what He has said. What He has said gives us every hope in the world. And the next time we see Mary, look at what happens in chapter 1. The next time we see Mary, she's pregnant and she's singing. She's singing a song because, listen, 
the anticipation of the whole universe now rest on the timeline of a pregnant woman waiting to give birth. Imagine what it must have been to feel that kick. Imagine the anticipation. But her anticipation is is not with worry or fear. Instead, her anticipation, she is treasuring these things in her heart. And she's singing. You know, Christmas time is is a time of singing. The songs that we sing are echoes of the past, and they're filled with hope. And the hope that we sing is the hope of the world. And I realize that we're in January now, and Christmas is far removed, but just remember as we prepare for the year, remember we know the story that gives meaning to every moment of our lives. We know that because of Christmas, He is with us. Without ceasing to be what He was, He became what He was not so that we could become as He is. And once He decided to become what He was not, He would never lay that flesh down again. We know that He loves us. And so we continue to sing our song of redemption, celebrating the Son. You see, the rest of the world moves on from Christmas, but not us. We can't get over Christmas. How could we? We are, we are still waiting, and in our waiting, we're singing. How could we keep from singing? An old song says, I lift my eyes, the cloud grows thin, I see the blue above it. Day by day, this pathway smooths since first I learned to love it. The peace of Christ makes fresh my heart, a fountain ever springing. All things are mine since I am His. How can I keep from singing? Christ has come to us so that we could be with Him forever. He comes to where we are so that He can take us to where He is and be with Him for all eternity. And so our only response, if we're really responding rightly, is just simply to say, Amen. Let it be to us according to everything that you have said. Father in heaven, we love you. We're grateful for the way that you love us. And it's my prayer here this morning for everyone within the sound of my voice that we would say, Lord, let it be according to your word. I pray, Lord God, for every heart that's listening. Lord, that you would look into every heart and you would find a heart that's beating, a rhythm not of our own desires and wants, not of doubts and fears, but a heart of faith ready to say, let it be. In Jesus' name, amen.